Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Because in this third chapter, there are some, I think, some very important things that we need to see. And I want to use as the title of the message, the question, is there a tomorrow? Chapter 3 of 2 Peter. This second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you, in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance, that you may be mindful of the words which were spoken before by the holy prophets and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord and Savior. Knowing this first, that there shall come in the last day scoffers, walking after their own lusts, and saying, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they were from the beginning of the creation. For this they willingly are ignorant of, that by the word of God the heavens were of old, the earth standing out of the water and in the water, whereby the world that then was, being overflowed with water, perished. But the heavens and the earth, which are now, by the same word are kept in store, reserved unto fire against the day of judgment and perdition of ungodly men. But, beloved, be not ignorant of this one thing, that one day is with the Lord as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, into which the heavens shall pass away with a great noise, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat. The earth also and the works that are therein shall be burned up. Seeing then that all these things shall be dissolved, what manner of persons ought ye to be in all holy conversation and godliness, looking for and hastening unto the coming of the day of God, wherein the heavens being on fire shall be dissolved, and the elements shall melt with fervent heat? Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth, wherein dwelleth righteousness. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of him in peace without spot and blameless, and account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, had written unto you. As also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest, as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing that ye know these things before, 
Where lest ye also, being led away with the air of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be glory both now and forever. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father, we have read a portion of what you put in the heart of Peter that has become a tremendous message to us as your children. Bless our gathering tonight as those who love you and those who are loved by you that we might be brought closer to your throne as a result of this fellowship this evening. We pray in Christ's name. I don't know if you would look at this chapter as I would look at it. Probably you don't. I almost always look at it as uh, what sermons are in there that I could preach. And you know, this this particular chapter probably has more sermons in it than about any chapter that you could possibly pick out. And I've preached from it before. I went back and looked at my record of the sermons that I've preached here and realized that I've used this same chapter before. But I want to look at it from a, a different perspective tonight. That last verse is a whole sermon in itself. I haven't preached that one here, but I will someday. Uh, but I want us to look at some things. One of the question is there tomorrow. You know, it seems to me that in my memory of 50s, well, 56 years old, I can't quite remember that far back. Uh, I can remember when I was about one, one episode. Most of my memories, however, won't go back that far. How, how far back can you go in your memory for something? If you start prodding, you'll discover that you go a long ways back and little things will come to, to the forefront. But in my consciousness of world conditions, it seems to me there is no doubt that this world has gotten worse and worse as the scripture said it would. And I think it's escalated. We're going down the tubes in a hurry. And unless the Lord comes quickly, we're going to be in a terrible state, worldwide, nationwide, even in our own country, the whole thing. We are not moral. We're not honest. We're not good. We are in a terrible state. We didn't used to lock our doors, and now we do. Friday night, as I left the house to go to a pastor's meeting that I thought never would end, I got home nearly 11 o'clock. But it was a good meeting. We were being taught on how to conduct funerals. You'd think preachers know how, but I learned lots of things in that session. I was glad to be there. But as I left the house, there were two guys, teenagers, standing on the bridge. And the thought that went through my mind, I'm not sure I ought to leave tonight. Because there was now no car in the driveway. 
and I have left the front porch light on so that I could get back in without stumbling over everything. And I thought, they saw me drive away, and I'm easy pickings. And I nearly turned around and went back and didn't go. And the thoughts that went through my mind as I drove home was, I wonder if the house is still there and all the things in it that I have some treasure of, particularly my gun collection, is still in place. And I immediately turned on the lights and looked to see if my guns were still there, and they are. Uh, but why would those thoughts go through my mind except that we have become to be conditioned to living in a, a terrible situation? As my grandson, after Christmas, uh, my, my son-in-law, after Christmas, we're going to take my two grandsons and go back to the West Coast. The thought runs through my mind is what possible kind of world are they going to have when they're my age, if it lasts that long? I wonder, Donnie and Mindy, what, what is in store for that baby about to come into the world? What possible future do we have? Is there anything bright to look at? Any hope for tomorrow or next year or ten years from now? Will our little ones be able to grow up and be what we want them to be when we hear of nothing but war and and strife and the, all the things that go with it and the insecurity that we have as a result of it. We begin to come up with the questions that many of our young people are asking and it is what's the use in planning for anything? Because they're seeing that we're in these conditions and I ask myself the same question. Why, why put any money in the bank to save for some years later, why not spend it all now? Because there's not going to be anything when I get there with the inflation rate that, that we have. And we almost come to a state when we will join forces with the people of the world and say, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we're going to die, and that's all there is. It's all gone. I gave you a series of questions that were asked, frequently asked of pastors some weeks back, and I preached from a few of those, and one of the questions that was asked in that series, most often of pastors, was by parents like you and me, who made the statement that our kids do not see any point in planning for the future. How can I convince them otherwise? What can I say? What can you say to our kids and our grandkids that there is a hope for the future when all they see is devastation and destruction and uncertainty, lack of jobs, and all the things that go with it? Well, it centers around, our answer is going to center around the question as to whether we think there's life after death. 
Not that we think there's anything beyond this, this present time. Now, if a person believes that there is nothing more to life than simply being born, living and dying and be put in the ground, and that's all there is, then probably there is no point or precious little point in thinking about the future because we're just simply going to be like an animal, live and die, and that's all there is to it. So unless one has some desire to be remembered with some human dignity, then maybe there is nothing wrong with the present day attitude. Uh, who cares about tomorrow? Let's live it today. But I've grown up believing that the Bible teaches that there is something beyond this world. That to me is of enough value to have hope and expectations for something better to come. And that if I'm going to have that something better, then it is necessary for me to make plans today to have it. I listen, as you probably know, I've told you this before, five days a week to Jim Dobson's focus on the family. But I, I respect him very much as a Christian counselor. And he has given me lots of help through his guests and his own speaking as a pastor. And one of those people, and I don't remember who, some time back, made a statement similar to what I'm going, I'm going to try to put it in words, and I don't remember his exact words. I was in the car, I didn't have any way of writing it down. But he said something to this effect, that unless the home and the church and the school get back to doing what they're supposed to do, it will force us into a police state. Either we control people by the morality and the integrity that can be taught in the home, in the church, and in the school, or the police will have to take over to control us. Why is it that we must have such tremendous police forces and they're continuing asking for, for more people. And why do we have to continue building bigger prisons and all of those things? And there's lots of discussion along that line. But it points out that there is such tremendous deterioration in our attitude within the home, the church, and the school that we are probably not doing what we ought to do and therefore it is forcing the government to control us by force. Now that's a, that's, that's a terrible blight upon society. And the position of the early church and, and what Peter gave us here in uh, the early verses of this third chapter, the third verse particularly, when he said that 
in the latter days, that is, close to the end of this world, scoffers are going to come and they are going to walk after their own lusts, having no other interest than self-gratification. And if we do not see that a hundred times a week on television, I'll eat my hat. When that is depicted as the way of life, to satisfy yourself, to get what you want, and it makes no difference what one mice might have to do to get there, and this is an indication of last times, and they're going to say, charging the church, throwing out the accusation against the church, as he says here in verse 4, where is the promise of the second coming? You see, we preach that Jesus Christ is going to return. That's a central point of our preaching. As a matter of fact, the scripture tells us that in order to be saved, you've got to believe that. If you do not believe in the second coming of the Lord, the scripture indicates that, that person is not saved. He will return for the purpose of, number one, taking out of this world the church. If he would come tonight, I would expect, at least, expect, that this church building would be vacant. Except for the clothes that we have on that would suddenly drop in their place right where you are. And we would take on new clothing provided by the Lord and send an empty building. Now there might be somebody left. That's going to be a scary situation if one or two people sitting in church and suddenly they discover they're by themselves. But it can happen. And it will happen. But they're going to say, oh, this is nonsense, this which we preach. And our world is looking at the message, at least in the United States, and most certainly in West Virginia, and definitely in Boone County, and saying, this is nonsense. Boone County is the least churched county in the United States by survey. West Virginia is the least churched state in the United States. The average across the United States of people who, quote, belong to church is over two-thirds, 66 plus percent. In West Virginia, only one-third of our population belong to a church. And in this low membership state of West Virginia when one-third of our people belong to church, Boone County is on the bottom. If there's ever a mission field in this world, it's got to be Boone County. I'm thinking of moving across the line to Logan. I don't know where Logan, you know. No, I'm not. I wouldn't do that. But, uh, you know, I'm almost ashamed to say I live in the worst churched 
county in the United States in certain circles. But this is true. And why is it? Because the majority of the people do not believe in that which we preach. And they are scoffing at what we say and what we do. And they're saying that this is nonsense. And Peter says they're singing because they're ignorant. I don't know the scripture. It's not a shame to not to be a good Bible scholar. It is a shame to remain one. There are a few people of you in this congregation who have expressed concern to me that you really aren't a good Bible scholar. You don't know. That's all right. None of us know it all. But one surely, as a Christian, has a desire to learn. Now let me put a plug in here for our Sunday school. And frankly, our Sunday school is one of the real concerns that I have with the ministry of this church that's not been properly met. Our Sunday school is not a good Sunday school in that our people don't see the need to attend. I'm not saying that we have bad teachers and that sort of thing. I'm saying the general population of our church don't see the need of learning. You know, this is the first church I ever pastored that the attendance in the worship service was higher than the Sunday school. I have been accustomed over the years to Sunday school tends to be way up here. As soon as Sunday school's over, zip, everybody goes. And we have a small congregation left in church. I'm glad everybody comes to church. But we don't seem to have the, the emphasis uh, uh, to, to be in attendance where we can actually be in a Bible study setting to, to gain this knowledge. And so many people in the general population of our society have never opened this book. They don't have the slightest idea what is in it. And I was interested in some of the things that Mary said about some of the teenagers in our youth group. Things that they don't know. That we take for so, so much for granted. But I suspect, Mary, that that ignorance is not just amongst our young people, it's amongst our adults. We don't know as a general population. And he, Peter was saying the people don't know that at one time the world was destroyed by water. But God said, I'll never destroy it again that way. And he said, as a token, I will put a bow in the sky, a rainbow as a sign of my promise to you that it will never happen this way again. When we were camping, we had the most marvelous experience, one that I have never had before in my whole life. 
of seeing a rainbow that came down with almost with inside the camp itself, just at the spot where uh, the, I guess you had the service on Sunday morning, there on, on the seats. It came down right there. I never saw the rainbow hit the ground before that close. And it went across and it was over in the woods and we could see it over here. But God said he would not destroy the world again that way. But that he would destroy it the next time it would be burned by fire. And when all things are done and said, the Lord is going to destroy this world that is burned up. Everything that man has produced will, be, will go up in smoke and he will rebuild, reconstitute this whole world. The day is coming when this world will end. That scoffers can scoff all they want. But we're coming down to the wire. And I think there's enough evidence in the scripture when we have studied it. And there are a few people who have spent their life doing it. To indicate that the prophecy of the coming of the Lord Jesus to begin the episode of last events is quickly approaching and may be upon us. One of the last prophecies that was to be fulfilled was the establishment of the nation of Israel again, which happened in 1948. It's about to happen. And we've been talking in Sunday school class a little bit about those things when there are ten nations that are out of Europe that are going to gather together as a part of the vision that Nebuchadnezzar had and Daniel had, and I'll not get back into that stuff, but it points out that things are about to happen and ten nations in Europe are already getting themselves together in some kind of an economic pact. Things are quickly taking place. And then he goes on to say that if you're going to use the argument that it's always been and there doesn't seem to be any end to it in the future, in the near future, we might as well eat, drink, and be merry and have a good time. But the, the, the Peter is saying, listen, God is delaying the beginning of these final events for a purpose. And he points it out in verse 9 that he is delaying because he is not willing that anybody should perish. He wants to give the entire world an opportunity for salvation. Had he come four years ago, Sheila, you would have been in hell. Aren't you glad he delayed? Because in that period of time you became saved and so the rest of the same way. Suppose, Danny, he'd come before you made your decision. The Lord is merciful in delaying in order to give people the opportunity to be saved. We're dealing with a merciful God. The question is not, will the Lord return and begin the final episodes, but what kind of person ought we to be when we know that it's going to happen? Verse 11, he, he brings it personally back to us. Is there any advantage 
in being good and moral and righteous and upright and living the kind of life that the Lord would, would expect us to live? Or would it simply be all right for us to do our own thing as, as we want it? He says in verse 11, since you know that the Lord is going to return, then what kind of persons ought we to be? And he asked, he listed in two areas, in conversation and in godliness. In our conversation. You know, our conversation has deteriorated to the place that we have to have censoring such as it is on television, radio, that we cannot possibly be in a group of people indiscriminately but what we can hear vulgarity and the Lord's name taken in vain. And sometimes that conversation includes people who claim to be Christian. But Peter said over in his first book, in chapter 1, verse 15, but as he which called us is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Whatever comes out of our mouth should be good and righteous. We're going to be caught short in our backbiting, in our angry words, and some of the things that we say that we would be embarrassed to say it to the face of the Lord. And yet that's exactly what we're doing. And then he says, not only in conversation, but in godliness. In other words, we ought to be living a godly life. The question is, are we ready? Not will the Lord return, but are we ready for his return? Let me read you a hymn that I like a lot. It's called Christ Returneth. It may be at morn when the day is awakening, when sunlight through darkness and shadow is breaking, that Jesus will come in the fullness of glory to receive from the world his own. It may be at midday, it may be at twilight, it may be perchance that the blackness of midnight will burst into light in the, in the blaze of his glory when Jesus receives his own. While its hosts cry Hosanna from heaven descending with glorified saints and the angels attending, with grace on his brow, like a halo of glory, will Jesus receive his own. Oh joy, oh delight, should we go without dying? No sickness, no sadness, no dread and no crying, caught up through the clouds with our Lord into glory, when Jesus receives his own. And the chorus says, Oh Lord Jesus, how long, how long, ere we shout that glad song, Christ returneth, hallelujah, hallelujah, amen.
Hallelujah. Amen. Are you ready? Any point in planning for the future? I'd say yes. Because the Lord's going to come. And are we ready for His coming? Let me make one last point, which comes from Matthew 16, 19. These words. Whatsoever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatsoever you lose on earth will be lost in heaven. Is there any advantage to living a Christian life? Now that we're saved, why can't we just do as we please and know that our soul will be saved? Well, listen. Whatever we accomplish here will be put in heaven. Whatever we lose here will be lost for eternity. Is there a tomorrow? Yes, indeed, there is. Maybe tonight, that tomorrow begins, maybe next week or next year, ten years from now, nobody knows. But we better be instilling within our people in this community, this county and state, and certainly in the lives of our kids, that there is a reason for being a Christian. And that is well taken in the words that we have seen here tonight. That without a proper plan for tomorrow, there will be an eternity to rule the day that we made that decision. Let us pray. Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.